You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach and leadership facilitator, working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. I want to say thank you for all the great feedback that I've been getting about She's Got Drive and, you know, just what you've been talking about, about the women that are on the show. I so appreciate it. I love it. And I would also appreciate and love you forever if you can rate and review She's Got Drive on iTunes. It's so important for the growth of the podcast and getting it out there. Today, we're going to meet a woman whose story is testament to the power of someone being seen and someone's potential being fulfilled. And there's the lifelong positive impact that one teacher can make on the lives of their students and beyond. Now, there is a short part of this interview that has some background noise that could be a little distracting. But given what Sharon was saying and the importance of what she was saying at that time, I've decided to keep it in. I know that you're going to enjoy this interview. You're going to hear her approach. She's a visionary. She's strong. She's determined. And there'll be things certainly that you're going to take away that's going to be helpful for you to add to your toolbox and the things that you can take on in your own life. I am so happy that I got to spend some time talking to Sharon and I'm sure that you'll enjoy this interview. Thank you so much for being with us, Sharon. A pleasure. Tell everyone a bit more about you. So I'm just going to read your bio. Um, and uh, and then you're going to hear everyone when, when I read this, just how much Sharon has, has and is doing. Um, Sharon was trained at the London School of Contemporary Dance and she danced with the Spiral and Extemporary Dance Theatre before joining Phoenix as a dancer from 1989 to 1997. She was also heavily involved in Phoenix education programs and delivery. In 1996, she choreographed a piece especially commissioned for the opening ceremony of the Royal Armouries in Leeds after forming her own company, ABCD, in 1998. She returned to Phoenix in 2000 as the company's rehearsal and tour director. She toured extensively in the UK and the USA for six years. She also continued her work mentoring emerging artists, lecturing in vocational dance schools and delivering bespoke training programs. Sharon was one of 26 aspiring leaders from around the globe to attend Dance East Rural Retreat as an, ex- as an intensive four-day think tank exploring the challenges of the role of artistic directors in the 21st century. Sharon was appointed as the seventh artistic director of Phoenix Dance Theatre in 2009. And in 2013, Sharon was nominated for the prestigious H Club 100 search for the UK's most influential people working in the creative industries. She is trustee of Matthew Bourne's New Adventures, The Place, West Yorkshire Playhouse and an artistic advisor for the Central School of Ballet and Leeds Inspired. She has most recently been appointed as the independent chair of the steering committee bidding for the European Capital of Culture, Leeds 2023. She was voted Yorkshire Woman of the Year in 2016 and Yorkshire Woman of Achievement in Business in 2016. Sharon, welcome. That is an extensive... bio i just like you are such a woman with drive so i'm excited to kind of start to hear more about how you came to be where you are today because there's so Mm -hmm. much that you've achieved and i just want to want to know that i had to totally edit the bio because (laughs) i'd still be going on for another few minutes so i've I've really come come down in terms of there's much more that you've achieved how did you get to the point where you were tr- getting trained in the dance? What was it about it that got you to get into this Well, space? it's really significant, a significant part of my development. And I, I owe my thanks to the fact that my parents gave me freedom to be an individual, but I also to a particular individual called Nadine Senior, who we lost last year. She passed last year and she was just what she describes herself as is a very simple PE teacher who saw inspiration and aspiration 
and took that from within an inner city school, had managed the first teacher ever to put dance on the curriculum. And that's where it started at the age of nine. I was absolutely smitten by the fact that actually I could express myself through this physical form. And I never looked back. I went home at, after my first lesson at nine and said to my parents, you know what, at 16, I'm going to London to become a professional dancer. And both my parents, as you'd expect a nine year, you know, we'll talk about it when you're older, no problem. At 16, I had my cases packed and I was gone. And, my, and it wasn't my parents that took me to London at 16. It was the teacher that said, well, you're ready. Let's get this sorted. She helped me with the grant. She helped me find the flat. She helped three other students as well, my sister being one of them, to say, of course, this is where your talent lies. You can do this. Off you go. And I've never looked back since. Wow. That <laughs> is so extraordinary. I can't imagine just packing your bags and getting on a trip, you know, and heading down to London from Leeds. And also the power of having your teacher, like, really... Yeah. Yeah. She was instrumental, you, the catalyst for the rest of your life. Yeah, completely. And the funny thing is, I think there's one of four females that have a similar story to myself in the sense that they started out with that, that inspiration and took it further. But there are, I think, 44 men who have been successful as a result of her engagement. 44 men and four women, which is kind of the wrong way around usually when you think about dance. And she's her legacy is all over the world. So um, she was responsible for the Northern School of Contemporary Dance, the absolutely outstanding uh, vocational training in Leeds. And she's just an absolute phenomenal and a legend. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I do owe her a lot. And just say her name again, Nadine. Her name is Nadine Senior, MBE. Oh, Nadine Senior, all, all deep appreciation to her and all that she's yeah. caused. Um, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So... Um, so tell us more about then how you move from the 16-year-old hmm. dancing, learning to dance, um, being trained formally in London to, to your journey to, to, to where you are right now. I think what's really fascinating and I kind of I get asked the question about what would you tell your former 16-year-old self mm -hmm. um, and looking back at that person now. And I, I guess to some degree what I say, I mean, my daughter is 16 now and I say to her, you know, you, you just need to go and believe in what you want to do because you'll always find a barrier. But the really interesting thing is that there's always a little crack in a door. And if you can just prise your shoulder through, the chances are that door is going to open. And I always seem to have that. And that's the kind of conversations I have when I'm looking and working with people today. You will always find a barrier and you'll be no further forward unless you take that step. So, yeah, thinking back to what it is that I, I achieved as a 16, 17, 18 year old, obviously going through training, was to build my confidence first and foremost. To realise that as a black female, I had to be I had to fight twice as hard and to be you know you said double the confidence but actually just to have the confidence and to know that although I'm different because I feel that you know I've been treated differently that it doesn't stop me from achieving um my father I'm one of eight and my father always says to me I don't have to worry about you Sharon I really don't have to worry about you and I I understand now what he means um but back then I obviously he saw something in me that I didn't realize I had in myself and that is that drive right right because you said that your sister so you and your sister went to London yeah um did she just curious did she continue in the dance space yeah she's a lecturer now um she works in dance education and she lectures here in Leeds she she also came back to Phoenix in 89 as one of the first females and we have our paths have come and, and gone you know in terms of performing on stage together mm -hmm. we spent a long time in Phoenix Dance Theatre um performing and then she's gone off and retrained into dance delivery and education. And she works within four or five different vocational and school settings to deliver dance to young people. So she's absolutely still involved in dance and an inspiration to myself. And what came to mind was, as you spoke about, is Nadine. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for Nadine, then you and your sister wouldn't have headed to London. And now, now you and your sister have... The, the ripple effect mm -hmm. of Nadine's influence and her belief in you has now is is now touching many 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 other people as a result of her, her vision and her and who she was and now you, you and your sister are doing the same thing it's just, I mean Phoenix wouldn't have started without Nadine Senior 
The Northern School would not exist without Nadine Senior. Our JSC, which is a successful education company, wouldn't exist. There's a lot of people that owe a lot of thanks to Nadine. And, you know, she wasn't an easy woman. <laughs> she really wasn't. But I think that's what was really special because she didn't she didn't hold on to people that felt that it wasn't that. Um, and it wasn't just dancers. Sorry, it wasn't just dancers that she she was inspirational to. We get in taxis now in Leeds and people say, oh, you're part of the dance. And it's like, yeah, I went to that school. I went to Hales and I did your set. I did your music. I did your costumes because she involved the whole school. And it was an ethos of education and sharing that was that sits in the city now. So the DNA that we have in Leeds, the dance DNA that we have in our city has been as a responsible ability of this one woman. And I'm so blessed to be have had that experience because my job now is not about myself. It is absolutely about the people I connect with and what offers and facilities I can provide for others to to do exactly what I did. Right. So I guess in my career, really, once I I, I actually got my first job before I graduated school. So I, I took a trip to Liverpool to a company, Spiral. That's where I started with Spiral Dance Company. Um, I had to ask the school permission to let me go. Um, and a really phenomenal story here with my sister and I, we weren't really, in theory, allowed to audition for companies whilst we were still in education. But we did. And we went for the audition, which was in our building, which was a bit of a, a, a bit of a, um, a boisterous move to make. But we went for it. And at the end of the audition, after 100 and odd people were being seen, it was down to my sister and I. And he didn't know that we were sisters. And he didn't make a decision at the end of that audition process. He said, I'll call you. I'll just take your name. I thought, OK. It's Sharon Donaldson at the time and took the number. Brilliant. And your name? And he said, Don Donaldson. And he just went, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And it's, are you sisters? Yep. And it was we just said, oh, my goodness. But, you know, he he wanted us both, couldn't have us both. And that evening we got home and I said to her, Dawn, you're my big sister. You take the job. Let's just, she's no, 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 Sharon, you know, if it comes to you, you need to take it. And I got offered the job. But at the same time, she was being offered a job from another director. And literally, by the time we'd finished our conversations, I mean, it was an absolute miracle. We finished our conversations. Both of us were saying, well, actually, I got the spiral job. And she says, oh, I've got transitions. And it was just... <laughs> It was like, right, it was meant to be. Right. It really was meant to be. And um, we're not rivals. We absolutely live together in that, in the sense that we can support each other. Mm-hmm. And our careers, my career's continued ever since in terms of just being able to move around with other companies performance-wise. Um, I never thought I'd move back to Leeds, but in 1989, the opportunity did come my way. And the first ever females that were going to join an all-black male company were asked to join Phoenix Dance Theatre in Leeds. And I said, well, absolutely. And it was only supposed to be six months because that's all the money that they had to support four women. We did the tour. It was a phenomenal change in the direction of the company and a great success. And after six months, we were saying, right, well, it's time for us to disappear. They didn't want us to go and neither did the Arts Council who funded the organisation. And I've not really left since. (laughs) Wow. So originally then... The dance company, so for everyone, it was a was a male black for black men, black male dancers, and it was, it was you were you were one of the first four female dancers to join that. Theater. That's correct. Yeah, and the the company Phoenix Dance Theatre came out of the work that Nadine Senior had done. So these three black men that started the company from the inner city school in Leeds were as an as a inspiration and as a, a kind of a a development of Nadine's work. So she got them, one of them went to London and he didn't like it, decided it wasn't for him, came back to Leeds and said to his mates, do you want to start a dance company? And they said, well, yeah, why not? And from there on in 81, that's how they rolled. They just kind of got together. They traveled with us as a youth group. So Nadine also had a youth company of which I was a part of. So that's how the connection came. And I knew them from very early on. And in 81, they started the company and 86, 89, sorry, was the first women that they invited to join the company of which I was one. Um, and we spent I spent most of my career performing with Phoenix all over the world. Um, and it was it was unheard of then that we happened to be all black. The 10 of us happened to be all black. Um, and it was really quite a phenomenon at the time. Um, the South Bank, I don't know if you've heard about the South Bank, um, mm-hmm. which is Melvin Bragg's program, made a series about the made a program about the company. And the other day it was referenced again by himself, by Melvin Bragg, because he's got his collection now in Leeds and uses that as one of the flagship um, programmes that he feels incredibly proud of being a part of. So, you know, we've got some amazing histories and successes as a company. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's still a rare a rarity even mm. today um i mean here in the us we have alvin ailey of course in new york mm -hmm. um i don't know of any others that kind of are at the in my fall you know that i know of i mean i and i always i'm not the i don't know many much about dance to be honest you know i uh -huh. love watching it and i go to different things but you would know more than me in that regard but it, it feels very rare still today that to have an all-black theatre company yeah I mean we are we have pulled on a lot of the um, inspiration from the states because we just don't have it here in the UK um, so Alvin Ellie, of course we um, we see them as our flagship company in, in that they do everything and they do it incredibly well you know you've got B.B. Miller you've got Donald Byrd you've got a number of choreographers that we've worked with and that we've invited here to the UK to help give us our identity and our inspiration um, but here in the UK it is it's a rare situation to find yourself as one of the only leading black female um, dancers and choreographers and now directors that have actually really gone through the dance system and is unable to be on this platform because sometimes I'm not recognized um, you know I mean and it's it's a very female heavy industry but you're challenged with the male dominance and definitely the white male dominance of what's actually the industry offers over and you're up against all of that so you know it's a real sort of um, you have to make your voice heard and your presence felt. I mean as you go further up the ladder you'll find that there are less females engaged within those senior positions even though the industry is saturated with females um, and that's quite an interesting um, challenge as you go through your journey to see how the influences are changing and where the influences sit. So you're actually finding out that actually at the top of the ladder, the second in command tends to be the woman and right. the men are actually the ones that are outward facing. So, yeah, it's very different. I mean, um, I sat I, as the artistic director 2009, it was two females that were employed, myself and another female. And now I have a, a male executive, but uh, it's just, um, it's really quite interesting. You know, other companies, very often it's the females that are the general manager position as opposed to artistic directors. Right. You said one of the things you said earlier was I have to make my voice be heard. So what is it about, what are you doing and how are you doing that? And where are you getting that from, if you like? I, I strongly believe in my art form. And I really do believe that there are the rainbow of aesthetics that we have is really significant. Um, and it's a platform that everyone and everything can be included. But we do have extremes. So I consider I, I run an organization that is actually at the very high end. I call my dancers. I, I compare them to athletes. They're pretty exceptional in what they do. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is where people do it for fun and for do it for enjoyment and entertainment. And both are valid. But clearly, when I talk about developing artists and young dancers in that sense, that I want them to be exceptional, in particular those of colour, because you have such a few fewer opportunities where you can step through the door and not be judged um, just because you are actually there as a person in its in its right, because mm -hmm. you your cultural identity is a thing that actually presents is presented first. Right. So I do feel that sometimes when I am in discussions with the boards with um, opportunity is that actually I am the lone voice talking about those opportunities that need to be broadened for, for BAME artists. Um, when we look at BAME artists in the, in the UK with regards to choreography, you don't see them on the Royal Ballet stage. You don't see them on the Sadler's Well stage. You don't see them. So even developing our own artists, sometimes I'm not even seen as a black choreographer um, or even a choreographer. So you have to kind of make sure people understand and say, actually, you are, you're talking to a black choreographer. Now, you can't ignore the fact that I am here. I mean, sometimes they don't look at the colour because I'm on the phone. And they say, well, you don't have any black dancers in your company. Well, actually, it's, the company's been run by a black director. And you're not seeing certain things that actually you're challenging, but not really doing your homework to find out. So I kind of, you know, challenge those stereotypes. But also I provide opportunity because I'll take this company every, anywhere and everywhere. Right. Um, and we are multicultural. The organization, I have an American, I have a Finnish, I have a Chinese, I have a, an Italian, a Spanish, a Cuban, and one British in the company right, right. now. And for our listeners, BAME means, uh, is the abbreviation that's used in the UK for black and minority ethnic people. That's correct. Is, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. 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 So, so I will commission... I will commission with that as a particular area of work with, you know, individuals of, of BAME origin 
um, and so that they have a platform to be able to develop their work and to, for it to be seen on the mainstream right. because otherwise it's marginalized and you have to point that out to people um, and the work is absolutely valid but you know unless it's it's kind of they're enabled to do other then they get they do get left behind yeah yeah so how did you so let's let's come back down to you and how mm. did you not get left behind i mean one could argue yeah for where i mean um, there might be many things that you want to do still but to get to where you are now how did you not get left behind what was it about you that that has enabled you to 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 be where you are do you know i do i do reflect with my family quite a bit in terms of where i'm positioned i'm number seven of eight and i've had to find my voice I really have had to find a, a way of not feeling compromised at all and actually understanding that I have something valuable to say. I've taken that attitude throughout the whole of my career. And I think I was a great performer. I actually stood my ground in terms of my development and my creativity. And I feel that's really given me a strength within my own DNA to be able to be vocalized, to be to vocalize what I feel is important. So I am very vocal. I do have a lot of confidence. I'm not suggesting that everything I do is correct, but I'm prepared to go into a debate about it. And I'm also prepared to evidence what I can. So I, um, I'm quite mouthy. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I don't, I don't choose to offend. I just feel that sometimes things need to be pointed out and then we can have a conversation about it. If I'm proved wrong, then fair dues, but otherwise it needs fixing if it's something that I perhaps got wrong. So I do try and find a way of, of having the courage and, and surrounding myself with others that I feel will understand what it is that the message is and right. how we can collectively to be able to demonstrate change and therefore allow others to kind of say, right, well, if this is happening, surely I can make a difference in what I do. Right, right. I mean, it reminds me of um, I was speaking to a senior woman and she was sharing about one of the things that resonated with her and has stayed with her for many years was her mentor said to her, you have a voice, use it. And that's what it sounds like you do. You know, you you have your point of view or your thoughts and you you but you vocalize it and you speak and you take a stand for yourself. And at yeah. the same time, willing to reflect on. And check yourself to see, is this the right thing? But you're willing to speak up and then let's let's engage in it versus being silent. Completely. And and it's not not to feel afraid to be wrong. I think sometimes that is a real challenge to just say, well, OK, well, if I've made a mistake here, um, let's let's correct it. I do apologize if, it, if I've offended anyone, if my facts are not right, but I'm not going to allow something just to drift because I'm not I'm not sure if I should pose the question, pose the question, have the debate. Let's see where it goes next. Um, and that is that's I think you have to harden yourself to that, but also find that realize that you're also vulnerable to other areas. So it's that real check and balance. And I think that thing of finding opportunity to have your action learning groups to really talk about those those things that are, are affecting you. And as a leader, you have to find the courage to do that. Um, my leading style is quite interesting. I've um, You do the matrix and you ask people about reflecting back on what that is. And, you know, I had a real positive description about holding a, you know, holding sand in your hands. Some of it will fall through and you don't try to catch it because it's the right thing for it to do. But what is in your hand is able to move, but it's been cradled. And I thought that analysis of how I, I lead the organisation really resonated with me. Um, and I'm not the only person with an opinion. So I have to find a way in which they can actually, where I can speak through other people, not just for other people. And I think Phoenix is, as a metaphor, that ability for it to be have a rebirth and to grow and to reform itself is so crucial. Right. And I think that's what's been our survival for 35 years. Right. Right. And 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 yours, as you've gone through to kind of reform, relook, rework, or is that have you lived that metaphor for yourself? I think in your that, own life? Yeah. I mean, my, my career has not been, you know, it's, it's lily pad. I, I describe it. I describe myself as a chameleon and I describe the path that I've taken as a form of lily pad jumping. So it's not one straight line. It's never been linear. I haven't gone from doing this and then taking a management course and done this and that. Some of it I've learned on the game. I've learned whilst I've been a performer because I, I believe that there's an opportunity above and beyond any 
one item of activity that I engage with, um, my curiosity has always got the better of me. And I've always felt that once my performance days were over, um, which was relatively young, I guess, um, the next step for me was about actually leading an organisation in order to do more and to do better. So I've taken those opportunities as they've come along. I was the second in command for quite a long time as a rehearsal and tour director under the artistic director and felt actually I have to step away from this in order for me for me to step above this. And that's what I had to do in 2006. I really I had to step away from the organisation and find a course that would enable me to actually really test the things that I needed to to grow. I had no management skills, none whatsoever. I was just doing them. I wasn't trained formally. My training was as a vocational, as a dancer. So I had to figure out how do I talk to media and press? How do I figure out the numbers? What's important about these numbers? How do I communicate to artists to get them to buy into the vision? And how do I make sure that education sits at the heart of everything we do? All of those things were learning curves. See, what I can hear is you seeing where you wanted to be and and being clear that where you were in that moment wasn't going to provide what you needed to get to that next step. So creating a, you know, coming off that path, creating a new path in order to return to the path. Did you think about at that point you wanted to be the artistic director or was it that you just felt like I just needed to, I needed to shift? Well, I was running ABC Dance, which was Arts Beyond Contemporary Dance, which was my own company. So I was fostering my own development in that sense, knowing that someday I will have a company that I will lead. It didn't matter how it was formulated. I just knew that that was innate within me and I wanted to do that. Okay. In 2006, what I felt was really important was um, that I did apply for the artistic director job with Phoenix and it wasn't given to me, even though I was practically running the company at the time. And I felt, OK, I had to step back and check myself as to why that was the case. And again, there's a blessing in that sense, because it was the right move for me to be able to take a bespoke leadership course to really have those check and balances about my leadership abilities to be able to do what I do now. So I, I left the organisation. I took a sabbatical, but then I said I was leaving because I wanted to really see how I could how I could develop myself out in the wider world. Mm. Um, and. I ended up working and doing the course. I ended up working for other organisations. I did a lot of other things. But what was really interesting, I was working for the company for now we shared the same building with Northern Ballet. We shared the building together. And I was their education director um, doing a maternity cover post. And I, um, I did apply for the job when it came up in 2009. But the day before they phoned and they said, Sharon, we've not heard from you. We've offered you an interview. and We've not heard from you. I was like, I haven't got an email from you. I says, well, are you interested in coming for an interview? We'd really like to see you. When they checked, my email, had they put the dot in the wrong place and the email didn't get to me on my email account. So I went and spoke to the director of the, the executive director of Northern Valley and said, listen, I have the opportunity to go for an interview for Phoenix tomorrow. And he sat me in the room and he just grilled me for an hour and said, you're ready. He gave me an interview before I went. It was such short notice. And I said, well, actually, I'm taking the day as opposed to I'm asking permission. This is how it's going to work. Um, and he said, fine, good luck, off you go. And I did the interview. And there were six of us through that process. But then they said, well, we're going to have to go through a second interview. And I was like, well, what on earth is going on? I actually, my business plan that I wrapped up that night was about the changes that this organization needed. And I said, for so long, I either put up or I shut up. And I complained about the company and its direction and various things. And you know, I was in the in that second interview for three hours, um, basically telling them that the vessel isn't broken. What you need to do is figure out what content is that's going into that vessel. Right. And I have a pretty good idea, having had such a history with the organisation, what can take us through to the next X amount of years. And um, I, uh, I really thought I'd shot myself in the foot. But as it happens, they trusted what I said. And I'm here eight years later. Wow. Wow. I love that you... There's so much in there. Sorry, there's so much in there. Well, first, I love that you um, you took what could have been like a disappointment. You know, the first time you went for the role, and mm. you and and rather than being stopped by that, you thought, well, no, like me, reflect and think about what is it. What does it mean for me? And I believe because I believe there's a gift in everything, even mm. the even the disappointments. Absolutely. It's a gift for us, and but the, our our goal is to to do what you did and to say, what is it that I need to learn about this, and where do I go 
next yeah. and then you you off you go and you're like okay I need to task myself there's stuff that I need to learn and to develop myself in so that's the first thing and then coming back to that interview the gumption of being in an interview and saying this is what needs to happen and if you know <laughs> which is I, I was yeah I was pretty convinced that if I hadn't got the job that their competition would be me so I was quite prepared to put ABCD on the map as a fully fledged organization, a company, but it would challenge Phoenix because I just knew what Phoenix needed. And I, I still believe I, I have that ability to keep the company driving. So ABCD would have been Phoenix's competition because I wasn't leaving Leeds, but I was quite prepared to be an artistic director. Um, but I think they saw sense. <laughs> yes, yes. Well done, Phoenix. Well done, whoever was sitting on the panel. Yeah. <laughs> For that, you know. Um, and the, so, you know, this, this whole one of, I mean, the, the podcast is called She's Got Drive because you can hear the, the drive in you as you speak about it, just even that example and the, the, the way that you say to your boss, I'm taking the day. Like, it's like, this is going to happen. This will be your, the way that you speak about if it wasn't, if they hadn't chosen me, I was very, very clear about what I was going to do. And then they, I would have been their great biggest competitor. Mm. What is it that motivates you? I can hear your drive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate and I love seeing success happen. I just think that's what runs through my veins. And I, you know, I used to be a performer um, and in a way this is another type of performance. So I don't miss not taking those curtain calls because when I look at the company now, they take that curtain call and I feel immensely proud. I look at the young people and the education work that they do and every success, even when it's one person that suddenly we have a disability group, a, a mixed group ability actually of, of performers. And for the three weeks, a young child didn't speak. And then when they, they said their name for one session, you go, this is working. This is why it's important. And nobody else on the outside world might even hear about the work that goes on behind closed doors because it's quite a, a, a secluded opportunity and we provide that. Mm -hmm. But the significance of that for those people around them changes lives. And I always say that I don't, I don't trivialize the words, but I say dance changes lives. And I know because it's changed mine. Right. And I know by using that as my metaphor, I know what the possibilities are. I'm in a position now where opportunity is really kind of, it's, it's thriving. And I see where I can connect, not just dancers, you know, public. I have a group of professional dancers who are exceptional. Um, but, you know, in 2014 in the Tour de Yorkshire, I don't know if you heard about it in America, but this is the Tour de France. And it came to Yorkshire for the first time ever in Leeds, in our home city. And we were the headline performance piece where I worked with 40 cyclists on bikes. And it's been absolutely phenomenal in terms of, wow. you know, we had visuals, we had the dance and the choreography was the bike ride. Now, in a massive space, 40 cyclists, light suits, it was creating choreography in an, in an empty space. And if you look on our website, on the Phoenix website, you'll see why it was inspiring. You'll see why people suddenly go, oh my goodness, I'm not a dancer, but I absolutely understand this choreography. Right. And I'm inspired by it. And what does that mean? It means that we've got new followers in different ways, people that connect with the arts. And I think that's also the bigger job that we do. We can find ways in which people understand. I mean, I think the value of the arts is if it touches your, if you see it, you smell it, you taste it, you sense it, you it's, it's about your senses. Mm -hmm. And that really is quite phenomenal. I don't know if there's anything else that does that. Yeah, I can't. I'm, well, I'm going to go online and see the Tour de France thing because I've not seen that because that sounds mm -hmm. absolutely incredible to have the cyclist be like in it with the. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm really curious about that. Um, and I'm going to put the link in the show notes so everyone can find the link to, to, the, yeah. to, to the site to see that but it's also I can feel your your energy and your commitment and the the broader commitment to bring art to as many people as possible as well as dance yeah. um and and how it as you said dance changes lives is because it's because it you're, you're in and you are following you know I really feel like you know we are we are also a product of the always the people who became before us I'm I'm holding yeah. Nadine in the background here as we speak 
Yeah. Um, and that her legacy is living on through you and through your work because you are a, a big leader in the community mm. um, now as she was indeed and you, you know I, I she took no prisoners <laughs> because she knew she had a job to do you know she she was up there talking to politicians about the importance of why these young people deserve better than what they're offering and I think you know I, I think if if I look, when I look at myself, if I have 5% of what she has, then I feel I've achieved an amazing amount. She absolutely managed to just unlock where she didn't feel that it was about her gratification in any shape or form. And I sit here in this, you know, we have a beautiful building here that we share with a classical company. And it actually doesn't matter where in the world I feel that I, I position myself. I just feel that the job I have to do is actually innate within me. Um, and not necessarily in the location because the job has to be done wherever we are. And mm-hmm. I, I do. I love the fact that she's that ethos that she's um, and she's gifted us has um, has lasted me my career. Um, and, you know, we work in when I run a contemporary dance company. That's my main area. But we're not we're not a young organization. And our ability to do more than perform in proscenium marches is a job that we have to perfect. Right. Um, and that's what I say to people when they join the Phoenix family. Yes, we have amazing dancers and I know how to do that with my eyes closed. And I know how to commission and to make sure that that stage looks phenomenal. But the other areas of the work that we do without our education, we're, gonna, we're not going to have this in the future. Without those, the bit in the middle, I call them our special projects, where, you know, we work with the BBC and present them with quality dance for their productions. We've worked with the rugby and we've taken 450 young people from their back streets onto the Wembley pitch to perform. They would never have ever had an experience like that. Right. And it's a lot of work and people are exhausted afterwards. But the gratification of seeing them achieve, I see people now that we've worked with 10, 15 years ago. Hi, miss. How are you? I'm da, 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 da. And I'm just thinking, wow, it was worth every sleepless night right. making sure that you turned up for those classes in the morning because now you are just a, an absolutely wonderful, beautiful young person. Don't have to worry about you because the ethos is embedded. You'll help another person because that's what we've taught you to do. Right. So, you know, our job just keeps extending itself. And the language of dance, you don't need words. Um, and that sometimes makes it very, very easy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. I keep, because the, the youth keeps coming back as a theme. You've talked about your family. What was, What was the conversations around success in your family you know what was that you know because the the power of um those conversations are rooted in us at a very young age um you know and that's why you know why it's so important the work that you're doing and the impact that it has on people's lives long term so I'm curious about your own family life and what was it that in your family life because you and your sister are, are of also yeah. So much. yeah. We, 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 it's an interesting one because I think my family, they're not necessarily artistically driven. They're, they're career driven, but not, not artistic. And my mum, even now, she says, oh, so what is it that you do, Sharon? Um, <laughs> well, just tell that. me again. And she'll see me on the television because I, um, especially in the latter year, I now chair the, the bid going forward. So leads our bidding to become European Catholic Culture 2023. And as the chair, I'm the outward facing voice of this of the committee. And it's amazing because I'm I am on the television, I'm in the papers, and she'll have her friends come around and say, I did see your daughter on the television the other day, and da 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 da. And um it was um it's one of those things where she's she's like, So what are you doing at the moment? And I said, Mom, this is it, because she used to come and see us perform, and that's when she could identify right. with our career. So you kind of think, right, that's amazing. But mom, what I'm doing is providing opportunities and being a, a spokesperson for new and different. And um, and she's like, okay, this is good. This is good. What does that really mean? <laughs> and, you know, she still sort of sees us as her children that were on the stage. And with my brothers and sisters, they are, they're incredibly, um, they're in admiration of, of this position because it's not an easy position to hold on to within the arts. You know, they they understand the fights. They understand the lack of money. They understand the position of women. They understand the position of black women um, and all of these things that make up the challenges that I have on a day to day basis. They appreciate the fact that actually we have achieved so much. And my sister works in education. I think there's a different take on education. I mean, once you're qualified, you can step through the door a little easier in terms of how that works. 
but she's not chosen to take the easy route. I have to be honest. She's gone out to rural Yorkshire to show these kids that actually there's a different way to do things. Um, so she has a real broad spectrum of how she's operating. Right. And again, just finding that way of saying to my family that I'm not going to follow what is traditional. I have five of my family members that were born in the Caribbean and three of us that were born here in the UK. Now, we have a very different, we've been brought up together, but from a very early age, I found my voice. I wasn't going to be what I felt was not um, taking the opportunities that were gifted to me. Right. So I would come home and tell my parents that I am after, I'm, I'm going on the school trip. I'll save some money. We'll go and get a job. We'll go and do these things. And it's just a very different way of working from a Caribbean way of life where the women were expected to do certain things in the home and not the men. And I absolutely wasn't going to have it. So if I'm going to clean the stairs, so is my brother. Right. If I'm going to do the dishes, so is he. If I'm I'm going to learn to cook. So is he. And that was my philosophy from day one. And I think my parents really just had to, to kind of, you know, buy into it. Otherwise, there would be just argument and confusion. But I love it because now we have a really cohesive family. I mean, we're all very mature adults now. Yes. And, uh, and our children are brought up with that kind of ethos. So it's really, I mean, you, you were, um, you want, you fought for equality right from the get go, really. <laughs> Yes, I will. Yeah, definitely. Right from the get go, you Um, were like, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. Or if he's not doing it, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I'm not going to be in the kitchen washing dishes while he's watching TV. You've got to be kidding. (laughs) That sounds like a familiar conversation (laughs) that I think I was having with my Caribbean parents. You know? Yeah. 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 Okay, things are changing. (laughs) Yeah. And then, but it's, it's also so that your voice in in the home finding your voice in the home and then finding your voice out there and really being willing to make a stand for yourself over and Mm. over and over again is so critical when you are in life anyway you know if you can't speak for yourself who will and um but also as a black woman in a space which is where you still are a minority leading a black um theater company you know, you've, it's, yes, it's really stacked up in terms of the obstacles that you're facing, but you are moving forward and you're you're driving forward in terms of you achieving what you want. Yeah. yeah. I think what, what was really a highlight for me last year, and last year was a really challenging year for me as a director. I mean, really challenging. And yet it was the year that actually most of the accolades that came my way happened at that time. And I just think that was really quite a phenomenal um, form of contradictions in terms of how I was feeling, but what was being resonated. And I think sometimes you have to hit the bottom to know how you climb and what what you need to do to climb and reflect. Um, And to be appointed as the chair of the European Catholic Culture Bid for Leeds is a massive statement. So I'm asking the question, why me? Why a female? Why a black woman? And why a dance? Um, If you can answer me those three questions, then I'll probably, I'll, I'll be happy to accept the position. And if you answer them without being tokenistic, it it would appease me even more. But I needed to understand why they needed the face of a black woman at the head of their bid. What is it that's going to be different about your journey moving forward for our city that requires me to be a part of it? Mm. Answer me those questions and I'll happily take the journey with you. And what was, well, clearly they answered the question to your satisfaction because otherwise you wouldn't be holding the position. But what was it about what they said that had you say yes? I think what they wanted to demonstrate was exactly that, that, you know, for far too long, the voice of black women haven't been heard, seen or understood. And I think also the fact that actually success comes in many shapes and forms. And we are proud because of the history of what I carry and what I've been able to achieve that has allowed them to say, we don't have many of you in in our city. And actually, as an example, this is why we want to have you as a voice and as a representation we want more of our city to understand the purpose and the reasons for how you are, where you are, and what it is that you're doing. And, you know, working together, we can change what our city looks like. That's great. Because the chat, role modelling, people being able to see, well, two things, What you know, for, for other young black women, young black girls, black boys, you know, people who are not black, as well, mm. everyone be able to look and see who you are and that you're in, holding this leadership position so that it can become more every day, you know, because yeah. we there's so many obstacles still that, that 
black women are facing that people are facing as they rise um yeah. in terms of fulfilling their potential so the the role modeling the being seen people seeing you in that in that on the tv as you said your mum was saying you're on the tv often you're in the newspapers you're that's so critical yeah. and so important that how we're represented in the media too and the thing is i'm not from a privileged background i really am not and i i i think sometimes people make the assumption that maybe that's how it's happened and actually when i say to them it really wasn't because my parents had nothing they came from the caribbean and they had to send for their family one at a time there's eight of us it's a lot and um and to understand that each of us have the opportunity to do and they provided for each of us i hardly saw my parents because they were out working when one came in the other went out and you know my my sisters my siblings brought us up um and that's how i understand a working family so i i'm not privileged not by any means but i do know what those struggles look like and i can identify with them very early on but i also know that they can be changed yes. and i'm not suggesting anything um that anything people do is an easy option to transition but i do know if you don't address them then you're only going to get what you've always got and uh yeah we have to try and, and demonstrate that actually a small change in yourself can make a big change in somebody else's life yes yes and that you can wherever your whatever your circumstances are you can go beyond those circumstances through your commitment through your passion through your vision through your drive and that you don't have to be it's not only so don't it's not only that you don't have to be stay where you are but it's also i felt like for when you speak about your parents i really that reminds me of my parents who the all of the children were born in the uk they weren't you know we didn't have to send for them but the their commitment was they worked hard they gave everything that they that they gave in order that we would do better yeah. than what yeah. they than than what they have done and we all have and um i remember the sacrifices that Completely. they made in order for me to be where i am and it makes me you know it moves me today when I think yeah. about that, because it was, it wasn't always easy. They weren't always easy either. Indeed. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you've got, I can absolutely recognise that. Yeah, and you know, it, it's it's just a, a small thing sometimes because you know, I, I instead of talking about, um, well, this feels a little bit difficult. Actually, it's only difficult if you don't try and approach it with a with a positive attitude. Right. It's difficult if you listen to the no as opposed to saying, okay, well, I have to take a step and try. And it, it's that mental approach, which is a change of a word sometimes. It goes, right, well, I procrastinated enough. Today, I'm actually going to put the pen to paper and put something on it, even if I don't know what it means or how it manifests itself. But I'll actually pick up the paper. And I, I think you know, I, have a, I have two children. I have a 17-year-old she is now and a 14-year-old. And I look at them both. And, you know, I understand that it's easy to follow the crowd. But I was never one to follow the crowd personally. So I have to say to them, you have to realize that your pathway doesn't always look like the other person's. Your yes. best mate doesn't necessarily do what you do. And sometimes being in that isolated place doesn't mean you're on your own, but you have to take the journey independently. Yeah. And that happens at 14 or 16. That happens at 25. That happens at 35. That happens at 40. Doesn't it, it really does. happen at any age that knowing that you don't always have to take the path that your peers are taking and that sometimes you need to you need to take a different path if it's the one that's going to give you what you want in your life you know and that we sometimes have to leave people behind indeed we do so when you're going through a particular challenge how what do you what do you rely on to get you through it i am um... Yeah, I, I've spent a, quite a bit of time reflecting on last year. We had quite a lot of changes going on in the organisation and I wanted to make a change as well, which was also almost a, almost a double challenge. I, um, I knew that the ground was shifting in terms of the city activity and the perception of what dance is actually delivering now, where we had some major gaps in terms of what I felt that the dance ecology was offering and offering our, our BAME artists and dancers that I felt it was the absolute right time to make a statement. And But I don't know if I, was, if I felt that I had the right people in the room at the right time. So 
I knew I had to make a shift. Um, and I knew also I was a concern that I would lose certain individuals. But I had to talk to myself a lot about actually, if I lose you, then you weren't right for the next part of this journey. And I had to digest that myself as much as I'm friends with them. But actually on a business decision making moment and future trajectory, it was the right thing to do is that I, I like you. I think you contribute. But actually, if you decide to step off, I'm not going to ask you to stay. I talked to my husband um, and again, my sister. Uh, she understands the inside of the of the ecology that I work in. And a few individuals that I, I have some board members that I, I absolutely have got on my board that will just say, I'm listening. And, you know, they've come from a background of, of clearly understanding the, the sense of directorship within leader within a female position. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing that I've just explained to you about those challenges and they will just be my sounding board. And I will pick up the phone sometimes and it's an hour, two hours where it's not a board meeting. It's not. It's just a case of this is my this is my challenge right now. And right. this is where I'm really tra- I'm finding it difficult to make a decision because I might lose someone. The perception might be X. I file you this, but I actually really know that the decision I have to make looks like this. I had a change of um, of executive, which was also quite an interesting one because I was left for quite some time without one. Um, and it's not a one man job. This this running of this company is not a one man job. So you know those those things were going on. And yeah, I mean, I was advised to do some meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't stay still. I can't stay still for very long. I can't focus in that way. That's not how I find myself. Right. And um, so, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard. But I feel like I've, I've scraped the bottom in terms of some of that thinking process. Um, a lot of the answers, I actually, I'm, I'm a believer in, in that sense that I, I'm not a church goer as such, but I believe that there is a bigger being than myself. I do believe that there is a God. And I do believe that things happen for a reason and I can connect. I find that there's a spiritual connection, although, you know, it's I am guided. I'm, I don't believe that I'm doing this on my own. Right. And, you know, there are times when I can close my eyes and just sense myself connecting in a way that's right. That's the decision you make. And that's the decision you have to go forward with. And you'll deal with it. You will absolutely deal with it. Yeah, your ability to well tune in and trust the trust the answers that are coming up for you you know I um always in my work with my clients as I work with as a coach I my starting principle is the wisdom is always in the client Mm -hmm. the client my client just hasn't discovered the wisdom that's required right now for whatever Mm -hmm. they're dealing with and to get to the next so my my work is to support them in uncovering their their own wisdom you know it's you know, yeah. I create the, the space, the container for it, but I'm not, I'm not, the wisdom's not over here with me in terms of what they yeah. needed and wanted for them. So that tuning in that the, and knowing that you can do that is. It's is that so mindfulness, powerful. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So mindfulness looks, it, it, it shows up in different ways, you know, for the, the notion of meditation of the kind of sitting, sitting in stillness, you know, eyes closed and, I mean, you know, uh, isn't always how meditation. Meditation can be just sitting with yourself mm. and allowing, allowing the message to arrive. Yeah, is and one. just uh, accepting. I think it's it's interesting. I had a um, I had a a session the other day with the next dancer of the company, and I said, you know, sometimes I I I have to tell myself it's okay to receive because I'm constantly giving out but actually if I don't try to fill my own vessel then you know I'm useless and I'm no good to anyone so when I can actually take in and allow that to really be absorbed within me physically mentally emotionally spiritually then I know that it's just really filling my tank and I, I actually know when that's happening to me um, and I you know over the years that trust of self is one of the things that I feel, you know, a couple of my dancers and my rehearsal directors always says, Sharon, you you trust your instincts. You know, you, you've got to trust your instincts because very rare are they wrong. But I also don't know that that instinctiveness needs needs nurturing, that instinctiveness. You always have to question and challenge it. Otherwise, you can always tell yourself it'll be fine. But actually, no, you need to also tell yourself it's not going to be fine. And when to really know how to step off and how to step sidestep a situation what's been your biggest life lessons out of 
your career that you live by and that, that, that perhaps have also turned into your guiding principles maybe? Wow. Um, it's a nice question, but difficult to answer. Actually, actually, no, 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 no. Maybe it's not because I'm actually thinking there's a, there's a sense of a triangle for me and that, that emotional, spiritual and physical satisfaction. And I, I you know, the, the family life is, is key. My husband knows what makes me tick and he he makes me tick because I you know there's that connectivity he knows my work is is, is part of my of, of who I am and how I get my satisfaction and that emotional connection there's just those three points that I just think that emotional spiritual and physical connection all of those seem to have to work in harmony and I can sense when one of them is actually out of kilter mm. and what I need to fix that so I I, uh, I actually thought I was going to have a, but I, I've heard myself say this before, and actually this is what it is in terms of knowing that what goes on in my home life is really key because that enables me to get to work and be satisfied, but also about looking after the physical well-being as well. So those three things just seem to be able to merge and allow me the freedom to continue to grow. Um, yeah, when you feel that one of those is really in question, then you can begin to, you have to address it. You have to address it. Right. I just find it interesting, actually, just thinking about the home home life thing is I remember being asked the question, how is it possible for you to have everything? You know, I'm, I have a husband. I've got two kids, one of each. I've got a home life. I've got a good family. I mean, you know, and I, I love my job. I love coming into work every morning and actually physically touch wood. I'm not I'm I, as far as I'm aware, I'm well. So how, do, how is it possible to have everything? I said, no, I don't have everything. I really don't have everything. I work hard at having what I have, but I don't have everything. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm not rich in wealth in, in terms of monetary terms. I'm not rich. Um, I'm rich in other things. And I think that's where I value what I have because I do feel incredibly wealthy. And I just think, well, actually, if I can keep that wealth growing, there's always another level to reach. So right. it, it's, um, it's, it's great that I have that kind of connectivity. But I know it's not always there for everyone, but they still have everything. They can still consider themselves rich and valuable in other areas. So right. it's how you tune what you feel is of value to you. Yeah, yeah. So what's next for you then? Wow. Because well, artistic, because this... you've done, I mean, from the outside, it's just like <laughs> you've achieved so much. If, you know, and, and for me, you know, again, when we vision our future is how we can start to manifest it. You know, so I'm curious mm -hmm. about, you know, where are you, what is it, what's in your future, if you want to share that. Yeah. If somebody said to me, you could have whatever you want tomorrow, what would it look like? Mm -hmm. um, it would look like a building. It would look like a building that was housing multi-arts. That was a real sense that I have music in that space. I have cultural arts. I have people that are experimenting. I have a city that is, I mean, it's it's kind of what I feel Leeds is developing now, but I think I'd want to manage it with a roof um, because I feel that, you know, it's there are so many opportunities that I, I have yet to develop and offer that it actually looks like a building. It looks like a space of pure cultural engagement um, and dance obviously sits at the heart of it, but it's it runs through the veins of what I do and what the business would look like. But I also feel that there are gaps within our cultural development that need to be manifested itself within our city. So that's how I can see my next development. I'd love to be able to to own and run a cultural centre. Wow. I love that. I love that. Leeds, look out. Because it looks like apparently <laughs> there's a cultural centre on its way. I love that. And I love the vision. And I'm sure with the vision and the, then now it's like you'll be looking at the opportunities to manifest that and to make it happen yeah. you certainly have the drive yeah. to make it happen um i'm so appreciative of you i'm sorry that i didn't know about you when i was in the uk um but certainly i look forward to the opportunity to to see your dancers perform or have yeah to have lovely. contact with phoenix um in the future because it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary story, really. And the story will continue to develop. Thank you. Thank you for doing that work. I'm excited about that. I am. I am. And <laughs> thank you for being with us today on, on She's Got Drive and for just sharing your story with us, your fascinating story and all your hard work 
it's so inspiring i'm just just moved by it really i am thank you thank you thank you and if you're coming to the uk you must come and see us I really hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. Sharon has so much vision and so much determination in the way that she leads and who she's been from a very young age, it would seem. I'm wondering what you're going to take on and what you can see in applying in your own life. I always love to hear from you. So of all of what Sharon has shared today, what's the most significant thing that you're taking away? What insight have you had? What actions are you taking? What questions are you left with for yourself? Go to the She's Got Drive Facebook page and you can leave comments and engage with the community there. Any insights, any actions, anything that you want to put there. In the show notes, I've also included the link to that performance that Sharon talked about that her dancers did when the Tour de France came through Leeds. Please have a look at that. It's amazing. And there, there's also links in there where you can connect with Sharon. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Vortolina. The music is by the awesome female band Blonde. If you want to connect with me online, you can find me on Instagram at Shirley McAlpine Consulting or on Twitter at Shirley McAlpine. And of course, there's a She's Got Drive Facebook community page. If you're enjoying She's Got Drive, it's so important to rate and review the show. And I'd love you to subscribe. And that would mean that you get it automatically on your device as soon as I publish the episode. There's another thing you could do. You can sign up on my website and get a free download of How to Be a Woman with Drive, which is a journal kind of ebook that gives you a couple of ideas and inspirational quotes and exercises that you can do if you want to just you know get kickstart in your life until next time go well and stay well